Today we'll be reading them from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is our savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, David. You guys can have a seat. We're uh, back in this series. Your days are numbered. It's a four-week series. This is part two, talking about the fact that your life is short. It's going to end soon. Jesus will return or you will pass away in a matter of like that, quickly. Uh, and so what does it mean to live with wisdom in that short time? What does it mean to live with God's perspective on these few days that we have here on this earth? Last week we talked about how this world is not our home. This world is not the place where we should always feel, ah, everything's just right. It's not going to. Our days are numbered. We've got a home waiting for us for those who belong to Jesus. And therefore we are freed from this constant anxious pursuit of trying to make this world our home. Did anybody find themselves this past week in a moment of uh, potential frustration or disappointment, uh, a moment where uh, the dog peed on the carpet or a groundhog got into your garden or uh, you had a, a sleepless night where you caught yourself and you said, wait a second, wait a second, that's right, this world's not my home, not going to be perfect all the time, things are going to happen i got a home waiting for me, and I'm going to stay focused on what God has called me to do in these short days. Anybody catch yourself? A couple of you guys? Okay, well, maybe this week you guys can pay a little more attention. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Today, what we're talking about, the title of it is Training for Eternity. Training for Eternity. We're going to unpack the passage that David just read from, and that's the only passage that we're going to be in today. Um, let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to take in and then live out, like, like own it, what you have for us. That it doesn't go in one ear and then out the other ear. That it doesn't go in our hearts and then get stolen by the distractions of life later on this afternoon. Help us, Jesus. We need your spirit to be at work in our hearts right now. Unless the Lord builds the house, its labors labor in vain. So God, unless you do a work in us, we preach in vain, we sing in vain. So do a work. In your name, amen. So when I was in high school, I was a wrestler. Uh, and during wrestling season, that was my primary identity. I wrestled at South Plainfield. South Plainfield, uh, wrestling in South Plainfield is like football in West Texas. Like, it was, it was a crazy wrestling culture. So to, to wrestle for them, like, that meant everything revolved around that sport. Wrestling was the sun in the universe. And so all the other planets of my life, schoolwork, friends, family, revolved around the sun, which was wrestling. Uh, not only did I have lots of practices, but I mean, just the culture of it was such that if I wasn't feeling well, there was no question I was going to be at the match. The question was, am I going to skip school to rest before the match or not? And everybody's cool with it. 
Like, that was it. Social life, I had a cutback. I couldn't do what normal kids were doing on Friday nights. I couldn't go out and stay up late because I had to get through a three-hour grueling wrestling practice the next morning on Saturdays. And it wasn't as uh, football I could get through a practice after a few hours of sleep, not wrestling. So I had to make sure that I, I'm going home early. Sorry, guys. I'm not like you. Like, I'm, I'm different this season, right? During these few months, I have to be different. Christmas time, I remember, was very different for me than everyone else because I had to cut weight, especially my freshman and senior year of high school. I had to cut weight to make a certain weight class. So what this meant was, I remember Christmas morning, freshman year, we all opened up presents and then my mom is serving appetizers. I couldn't eat it until I went and burned off calories and, and sweated some. So I had my older brother drop me off a few miles away, run home, and then I could enjoy the food and everything and dinner. But then I ate too much. And I remember Christmas night, I'll never forget this, I'm listening to my family play board games in the kitchen while I'm running up and down the stairs with a bunch of clothes and probably a garbage bag on, trying to sweat. Any wrestlers in here remember those days? Yeah. And I remember thinking, what am I doing? This is crazy. What am I doing this for? But I was, everything was revolving around this sport of wrestling during those few months. And this was a sport that I didn't even want to do beyond high school. It was a four-year wrestling career, right? But everything revolved around it. Anybody else have any pursuit in your life that was similar? Whether it was, whether it was a scholarship you were uh, chasing after, whether it was a degree, whether it was a second degree, whether it was a career. Anybody ever have that, a season like that in your life where everything revolves around that? Maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend. You notice, like, you, you, fall, you fall in love, and then all of a sudden you start to forget about everybody else. Right? You have a friend who fell in love. And, like, they will get back to their uh, boyfriend or girlfriend within five seconds of a text. And then you, you're like, bro, I texted you two weeks ago. And they're like, oh, I've been so busy. Busy texting with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Right? Anybody ever experienced that? It becomes the sun in the universe. Well, in this passage, Paul is saying there is one thing that should be the sun. All those other pursuits are fine and good, but they should be planets that revolve around the sun. And that sun is what he's getting after and what we're going to talk about here. So let me read this passage one more time from 1 Timothy 4. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness or, or exercise yourself in godliness, another version says. For while bodily training is of some value, it's good to be physically fit and to take care of your body and to exercise, and what Paul was thinking about, this was a culture, the Greco-Roman culture, the Greeks, the Romans, they put a great deal of value on physical fitness, right? On the games, on the contests, on the sports. And so Paul says there's value to that. Sure, of course, that's fine. It's fine and good. But while there's some value to that, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, which is short. And there's promise, there's rewards in the present life, for training for godliness, but also for the life to come, which goes on and on and on. And what Paul's getting at here is you want to make sure you are working towards pursuing, revolving everything in your life around that which is going to matter the most in a thousand years from now. You don't want to be a thousand years from now going, man, why was I chasing this? Why was this the center of my universe for such a short life? You want to be able to go, oh, I, I revolved everything around what God's called me to revolve it around. 
He continues, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. This, to this end, we work hard, Paul says. And he's working hard, church planning, sharing the gospel with people, loving people, trying to be transformed into the image of Jesus himself so that the grace and the love of Jesus oozes out of him onto others, even if it means sacrifice, suffering, imprisonment, beatings. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. So not on temporary rewards. Our hope is not set on retirement. Our hope is not set on, set on that promotion, that scholarship. Our, our hope is set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Talk about Jesus is the Savior of the world. He offers forgiveness and salvation to everybody. It doesn't matter how broken, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, everybody can come in. He hands a check. He says, here, I got this check that I paid for in my blood. Take it. Never, not everybody takes it. Only those who believe receive it and go, yes, I want to cash it in in the bank. Some people go, no, 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 I don't need it. I, I'm good on my own. I'm wealthy enough. Others go, I'm too unworthy. I've screwed up too much. I can't. But for those who go, yes, I'm not worthy, but oh, I'm grabbing hold of that grace. Paul says he's our savior, especially those who believe. And this is why we toil and strive, to make his grace known, to make this message known. So that's kind of a summary. Two implications I want to kind of dig into for us. Two implications of this. Number one, godliness is way more than good behavior. When I was growing up, we had a weight room in my basement, my you know, sports family. We had weights, a bench press, and pull-up bars and dips to work out, for, uh, train for our sports. But my mom had a poster on the wall, I remember, of some professional athlete. I don't remember who it was, but he was a Christian. And th that verse, physical training is of some, of some value, but godliness has value for all things. That verse was on that poster, and I used to read it all the time. I didn't really understand what it meant. I thought it was like, Okay, working out's good, and being a good person's better. Got it. Check, check. I'm good. I didn't give it much thought until recently. I'm watching our girls engage in sports and work hard, and I'm thinking about that verse keeps coming to mind. Godliness has training or has value for all things. What does godliness mean? It ain't just good behavior. Dave Glenn did a great message testimony at our men's breakfast last week talking about, I mean, the title of it was, even good boys need a savior. He talked about how he, was, he didn't get into a lot of trouble. He did a, a lot of the right things, but he admitted he did a lot of it for the wrong reason, to stay out of trouble, to uh, avoid negative consequences, to avoid people's disapproval, not to glorify God. And there's a lot of folks out there thinking they're godly because they're checking some boxes, doing some externals, reading the Bible, going to church, giving some money, but in the inside... Maybe they're offended easily. Maybe they're critical of people. But Christians get a bad rap sometimes, right? They got these check boxes and then they're sour pusses. Negative all the time. Fearful all the time. Anxious all the time. Well, that's not godly. Got to grow in godliness. Got to grow in that. This is one reason why we're doing this study, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, starting next month. We want to be emotionally mature. That's part of our Spiritual maturity, that's part of our discipleship, to grow in how we react to difficulties and difficult people. There's a um, term I want to I kind of explain here. 
Um, because w- when he talks about godliness, uh, the, the, the word could also be godlikeness. He's, he's, he's saying you need to train yourself, exercise yourself in becoming like Christ. I mean, that's what he's after. That's what God is after in us. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, God is using all things to work together for our good, which is to become more like Jesus. That's his goal. We could also use the word holiness. Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. Well, a lot of us have this idea of, oh, that's like a stuffy rule follower who's self-righteous and looks down on people. That's not what holiness is. That's not who Jesus was. Holiness has the idea of being otherly, set apart, God is holy. He is separate from all of us. He is different. His love is a holy love. It's so far superior to our love, our ability to love. His power is a holy power. His justice is a holy justice. Our sense of justice gets distorted. His is a holy justice. Well, he says, be holy as I am holy. And there's a term, um, positional sanctification, and then the process of sanctification. I just want to, can I use one of you two real quick? Kayla, come on up here. You're closer. Real quick. Sienna, can you come up here real quick? I should have prepared somebody. Sorry. Real quick. Let's pretend like Sienna is not my kid. She was in the foster system, and, and we've been working to adopt her, let's say. We've fostered her. Some of you guys have went through that process. You've adopted from out of the country. Um, so she's not in our family yet, but when we adopt her, she is set apart from the system into our family, given a new name, becoming a part of our family. Legally, she gets all the benefits of being in our family. That's positional sanctification. When we trust in Jesus, he takes us from the world, the kingdom of darkness, and says, ah, you're in my family now, the kingdom of my son. You belong to me forever. You're declared righteous. Your sins are washed away. That's positional sanctification, and it happens the moment we trust in Jesus. And when we get baptized, it's a symbol that we have been set apart by Jesus. Now, when we're, if we're honest with ourselves, at that point, we're usually like, well, I don't feel very righteous. And if Sienna was adopted into our family, she would not be, right away, living up to the values of our family. She wouldn't know them, probably. And, as, and she, she's used to... Being an orphan, she's used to coming from a, a, a whatever dysfunction she might have been coming from, and so she's going to react according to that. So it's going to take time and a process of her becoming one of our family in her attitude, her actions, how she responds to things. And that's the process of sanctification. So when Paul says train yourself in godliness, it's because Jesus has saved you, because he's taken you out of the world and set you apart for himself, now... Grow yourself. Work at becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what he's after. In your attitudes, in your values, in your perspective. Care for the things God cares about. Care for the people he cares about. Care for the brokenness in others that he cares about. Show grace like he shows grace. All right, thanks, sweetie. Good job. There's a great quote from a blog that I recently read um, by a guy named Scott Hubbard. It was on holiness, and he, he writes this. If you're in Christ, God has placed in your heart a hunger for holiness. Holiness is no longer the cramped closet you thought it was. It's not this stuffy place where you have to just obey these rules and it's not fun. No. 
I love how he put it. But rather a garden of pleasures, an echo from heaven, the beauty of Eden rediscovered. You are not content merely to be counted righteous in Christ, glory as that, as that is. That's that positional sanctification. You yearn also to become righteous like Christ. You want to be holy as he is holy. Because you trust that's where joy and peace and fulfillment is ultimately found. The more I'm like Jesus, the more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness is going to ooze out of me. I want that. When I was a kid, I called myself a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Through high school, I did. But Jesus, honestly, was one of the planets that revolved around multiple other suns, depending on the season. When I, be, when I was 19, that's when I said, Jesus, all right, I'm ready to let you be the son of my universe. And everything else I'm pursuing, everything else I'm chasing, everything else I'm so disciplined about, right? chasing after filmmaking or whatever else it is, I'm going to hold it loosely. You rearrange my life how you want. And my desires started to change. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to l l know truth about him. I started reading the Bible on my own. I'm writing down notes. I didn't, like, I didn't know where, where this desire was coming from. I was just like, things are different. I didn't want to do things I used to do, and I wanted to do things that I never wanted to do, like find a church. I was in L.A. I was on my own. I was like, I want to go to church. I don't know why. I want to find a church. I want to find people who are passionate about knowing Jesus. I want to learn from them. All of a sudden, things started to change. So there was a desire to know Jesus and become like him. Our hungers change. So when Paul says train yourself in godliness, he doesn't mean go, be a good boy or be a good, 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 good girl. He means have a hunger for Jesus, a hunger to be like him, a hunger to know him. That's the first implication. Second implication. If our time on life is, in this, uh, life is short, our days are numbered, and this is the most biggest priority is to know Jesus and be like Jesus, the second implication here is that although we do not earn spiritual growth, godliness requires grace-driven effort. So if, if, if you imagine in front of me, or let's say here, this is a road of spiritual growth, right? And we're trudging down this road, and we fall, and, and it's a bumpy, imperfect road. But we're growing, growing, growing. Well, there's a ditch on either side of that road. On one side of the road is the ditch of legalism, and performance-driven spirituality. This is where we think that what we do determines who we are. If I go to church, read the Bible, talk to my elderly neighbor for five minutes, then I, I, I chalk that up, I put it on the list, and God's like, yeah, hey, good thumbs up for today. He likes me today. That's, that's, that's performance-driven spirituality. And there's different degrees of this. The religious leaders were guilty of this. They were good on the outside. They, they had the, the moral behavior down pat from an external point of view. But on the inside, there was pride. And, and there was injustice being done to the poor and marginalized. And there was self-righteousness. And they were the ones who crucified Jesus or wanted him crucified and handed him over to the Romans. So we want to avoid this ditch. We want to avoid a, a determining a hierarchy based on what different people are doing. Well, this person serves in our nursery, so they're at the top. This person says, no, they're too busy, so they're at the bottom. Right? And that's, come on, there's something in all of our hearts that determines who's in, who's out, who's lower than us, based on whether or not they do X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z is always the stuff that we're really good at, right? So if so-and-so is not good at it, then they're lower than us. That's in us. We want to avoid that. 
We want church culture to avoid that. But sometimes what happens is to swerve away from that ditch, you ever swerve from something in the road, like on the left? You got to be careful you don't swerve too far to the right. You get into the guardrail. Sometimes what happens is we swerve and we get to the ditch on the other side, which is worldliness and spiritual apathy or laziness, where we say, well, if God wants to grow me, he's just going to grow me. It's all in his grace anyway, and I have his spirit, and so he's just going to grow me. I shouldn't put too much effort in because then I'm, you know, being legalistic. We, we throw these terms around. Then I'm, I'm putting in, you know, too much effort, and then it feels phony. And so I've literally heard folks say, and I get it. I've been there. I, I don't want to have a routine of reading the Bible because that feels rote. I want to read when I just feel like reading. Well, you know, I don't like to pray when I don't really feel like praying because that feels phony. I don't think God wants that. So we, we, we use these things to justify. I can't love somebody that I don't like right now, so I'll just avoid them because I don't want to be phony. The world has two options in that case. You love them or you avoid them so they aren't phony. But in Christ, those aren't your only two options. We exercise ourselves in godliness. That's what Paul says here. He uses strong words. Nothing to do with the reverend silly myths, myths Train yourself for godliness or exercise yourself in godliness. Physical training, the same grueling effort you put into training for something physically that all those athletes are training with, that same kind of effort put into your growth, put into knowing Jesus and becoming like him. And then he says this, this is why we toil and strive. This is why we work hard. So there's effort involved. It's not earning. We don't earn spiritual growth. We don't earn a place in God's kingdom, but once we're in, he says, here, now put, put effort in. Pursue this. Chase after this. There are other places where he emphasizes the fact that God is the one growing us. God will complete the work he started in you. He, he, he's going to sustain you. There, there's passages and we've preached on those passages and sometimes folks push back and say but what about our free will what about our choices well here's a passage about that we are made in the image of god which means we have a will to exercise and paul says take that will that has been given to you by god that has been redeemed and uh, uh restored by the holy spirit in you and exercise that will put effort in Putting effort into something doesn't mean it's legalistic or you're trying to earn. It's okay to be uncomfortable and it's okay to be inconvenienced. It's okay for things to even be boring sometimes. Keep going with it. Anybody who's ever done any other pursuit knows there's aspects of that pursuit that you don't like. If you go back to school to get a degree in something, there will be classes you have to take that may not stimulate you like the other ones. You got to take them. There's tests that you have to take that may not be wired by the way you're wired. you got to lean in. My wife runs races. She's good at running. She enjoys running, which is a whole gift in itself, right? She doesn't just go to the races and say, well, if God wants me to win, I'm going to win. I don't need to train. I don't need to put any effort in. That's me taking matters into my own hands. She doesn't do that. That would be neglectful, reckless, lazy. She works out. She has a coach who's given her a workout plan to do five days a week. It includes physical uh, resistance training, which she doesn't like to do, but she does it anyway. There's aspects of any pursuit that we don't like. 
Marriage. If you've been married more than five years, you know marriage is work, right? It's work. There's work to put in. That doesn't mean it's not worth it. That doesn't mean you're being phony by putting work in. Heck, just to have a date with my wife takes discipline. Scheduling a time, making sure it lines up for both of us, making sure there's something for the kids to do or go, make, getting a reservation. And sometimes we want to be lazy as husbands, don't we? We were like, let's just watch TV tonight because it's a lot of discipline, but it's worth it. So why, when it comes to our spiritual growth, are we so quick to go, well, it's kind of boring, so I don't think God wants me to do it. Well, I'm not quite feeling it, so I don't think we, we quickly let go. God's put his spirit in us, but he says now that I've, it's kind of like a car. Imagine I gave you a car. It was a gift, brand new car. Whatever dream car you have, it's, I buy it for you. I fill it up with gasoline. I cover the registration. You're on my insurance, and I give you the keys. And I say, here, I want you to take it out on the road, experience it, have fun with it. And I get in the passenger seat, and you get in the driver's seat, and I'm like, come on, let's go. And you look at me and go, well, no, this was a gift from you, so I don't think I should put any effort in. Why don't you put it in drive, and you hit the gas? I'd be like, dude, the point of this is for you to experience this. I want this partnership. Like, I'm, it's a gift, but you got to put it in drive and hit the gas. And if the car is our salvation and the gasoline is the Holy Spirit who empowers us, God's still like, exercise the will I gave you. Put the car in drive. Hit the gas. Go. Make this a priority. Does that make sense? So although we don't earn spiritual growth, godliness is something that requires grace-driven effort. That's what we should be spending our short time on earth pursuing. Now, I want to end with a list to get practical. What does this look like? How do I do this? How do I put this into practice? I want to make a list. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just some things that were rumbling around in my heart this week. Maybe God will highlight one or two of them. Maybe all of them. Um, But I think these are things that Scripture would say, yeah, this is part of your workout plan, so to speak. So you ready? First one is holy habits. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. Uh, I like this phrase better. But these are things that Scripture talks about. Reading the Bible, getting in God's Word, pushing aside everything else to say, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to remind me of who you are because I forget. Taking time to pray with him. Praying on all occasions and also taking time to push aside everything else. To be still, to be silent before him, to be alone with him. To say, God, I'm having the discipline to push everything aside because I want you to be the primary focus right now. Church participation is a spiritual discipline sometimes. Right? You don't feel like being with people all the time. You don't feel like going to Sunday mornings all the time or a life group all the time. But you say, you know, I'm, I'm making this commitment to be around people. Iron sharpening iron. That's a holy habit. Praising God. We sing one time a week together where the whole church gets to sing together. And some folks say, well, I don't like to sing or I'm not a singer. I am certainly not a singer. And I used to not like to sing too. And the only way I started to like it is to start doing it. So, all right, God, you've commanded me to. I, I, you know, I, I know this somehow pleases you. I don't quite get it. I just started singing. And then one day it just clicked. 
And sometimes you do something until it clicks. You read the Bible until it clicks. You're like, wow, God's speaking to me. We're trying to teach our youngest how to ride a bike. She is behind in that area uh, where her sisters were. She's behind where she probably should be. She's just because she doesn't like to practice. Doesn't want to fall down. It takes discipline to figure out a time to go and get to a park and stuff. But we know that at some point, if she puts in the discipline, at some point it's going to click. And she's going to enjoy bikes like her sisters enjoy bikes. Sometimes that's the case with a, with a discipline, like reading the Bible or singing. You do it until it clicks and you go, wow, oh, I see. The Spirit starts to move through you. Next uh, thing to talk about, um, special places and times with God. I didn't know what else to call this, um, but God has wired us all uniquely as individuals. And there are, there are places and there are times uh, that uh, stir our affections for God in a unique way. So, so for some people, it might be the beach, getting to the beach at sunrise. And that's like, man, that just makes all your anxieties wash away, and you're reminded of who God is. Well, get there. Get there uh, a few times a month. Maybe a sunset. Maybe bird watching in the woods, somebody tell me, that that stirs their affections for God. Get there. For me, it's the cemeteries. I like going to cemeteries. The beach is cool, too. But the cemeteries, uh, I like to read the tombstones and, and see when they were born and when they died. I know some of you guys are like, that's morbid. It's not morbid. It'd be morbid if I was digging up caskets and trying to look inside. Like, that would be morbid. I don't do that. I'm looking at the tombstones, and I'm like, oh, wow. All these lives that came and went, and God remains. All these people who God breathed life into, and now that's it. Some of them have been dead 150 years. I wonder what they were worried about when they were my age. What anxieties did they have? I don't read about their lives. They're small. I'm small. Cemeteries make me feel small, which puts all my worries, all my sins, in a small category compared to a mighty, gracious, merciful God. Now, I'll admit, I haven't been to a cemetery in over a year. I got to be more disciplined about getting there once or twice a month because I know what it does for my soul. I got neglectful. I got lazy. Next category. Recognize the difficult people as weights to stimulate growth. Anybody have difficult people in their life? Yeah. Yeah, they come and go, and sometimes they change. Difficult people become easy. Easy people can become difficult in certain seasons. If you have siblings, it's like 90% of the time they're difficult. And, uh, but here's the deal. Difficult people are like the weights at a gym. I want you to imagine, I give you a workout plan, and you go to the gym with that workout plan. And you open the gym doors, and you look around, and you get suited up. You look around, and you walk around, and you're reading the workout plan and you're memorizing what you're supposed to do, and then you leave the gym. And you see me, and I'm like, hey, did you do the, the workout? And you're like, well, I, I read it. I read it a few times, actually. I memorized it. Well, did you do the first thing, 20 push-ups? Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't like that kind of stress. I don't like drama. I don't like drama in my life. Like, well, that's the point of the, and that's what we do with the Bible. We read it, love your enemies and forgive, and then we go out into the world and we deal with our siblings, we deal with our spouse, we deal with people in our church communities, and we go, oh, that's not for me. Too much drama, too much stress. And God's like, but that's going to grow you. That's going to train you. So every difficult moment with every person in your life is like a workout. 
Exercise yourself in godliness. It's an opportunity to grow more to be like Jesus. Patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, keeping your mouth shut sometimes, or saying the right things. It's an opportunity. And God is faithful to provide difficult people for the rest of your life so that you're always growing. You're never too old to stop working out in this regard. Even if you try to leave church, you'll find them. So stay in a church community. Don't think. People have said, I thought church was supposed to be blank. Read the Bible. It was blank. It was good for Acts like 2, 3, and 4, and then it got messy for the rest because different people started to come in and out and different people started to get saved by Jesus, and then it got messy. So if God's put you in a house with people who are different from you, difficult, it's a workout. He'll give you the grace to, to train. Confession and apologies. This is another way we grow. We exercise godliness. We confess to God, I've sinned. I've sinned before you. I made this too important, more important than you. That keeps us humble. That keeps us remembering we need his grace constantly. And it gives us constant opportunities to praise him for his grace. I thank you that you're so forgiving of me. How prideful I could be. Being quick to apologize to others when we hurt them, screw up, even if they're mostly wrong. It takes discipline, exercise to go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry. Sorry for my part in this. And it takes discipline to not follow that up with, what about you? You going to apologize? No, keep your mouth shut. Have the discipline. Exercise yourself in godliness in that moment. I was talking to somebody recently, a parent, who flipped out on their kid, and they uh, really were feeling bad about it. Went, uh, you know, anger too far, and they said they had to gather, they gather their family and said, hey, sometimes parents screw up too and, and, and need Jesus' grace. That's exercising yourself in godliness, and you have lots of moments for that too. And the last one I'll mention, be obedient in the offensively ordinary matters. This is the last one I'll mention. Um, I stole this phrase, offensively ordinary, from uh, the writer that I referenced before, Scott Hubbard, Hubbard in uh, that same blog post. I want to read it. Sometimes we have this idea that to be obedient to God is strictly about the big things that we get to do, the grand gestures, starting a hospital or some ministry or a church or becoming a pastor, some big thing, moving to another country to be on mission. Uh, all are good, and people are called to do that, certainly. But sometimes we get too focused on those big things that we miss out on the everyday, offensively ordinary matters. So let me read this, this excerpt. We can become so interested in the grand steps of obedience we hope to take in the future that we miss the offensively ordinary steps right in front of us. A single man may dream of sacrificing himself for a wife and children one day and yet fail to do his chores in the meantime. An aspiring missionary may pray to one day plant a church among the unreached and yet neglect her present small group. Oops. A postgrad may aspire to one day start a nonprofit and yet cut corners in his job as a cashier. Young people, keep that in mind. A young Christian may long to remain steadfast under future trials and yet grumble at her roommate's dirty dishes. Lots of offensively ordinary moments that probably 
if you're obedient in them, most of them probably won't get rewarded in the short term. But we do it because we have our eyes on eternity. We do it because we know even in this small moment, Jesus said if you give somebody a cold drink of water and you do it in my name, it matters. It's written down. It's noted. We're like, well, I'd rather glass of cold water. That's easy. I'd rather start a hospital. Be faithful in the little moments. They matter. They matter, especially the things that you're not going to get accolades for. You're not going to get an A plus for. You're not going to get a scholarship for because you have your eyes on eternity and it shows that you have faith that I'm living for a thousand years from now. I'm living for that which is going to matter for a million years from now. So be different. Train for eternity. Let's stand. Band, you guys can come on up here. We're going to end with a song of praise. A chance to exercise praise. Be disciplined about praise. It's a song about being different. I was different as a wrestler during wrestling season in high school. I was different from all the other kids. But here Paul says, no, you really want to be different by being like Jesus. If you're going to stand out from the world, let it be because you're like Jesus. Don't try too hard at being special in this area or this area or this area. Be like Jesus. Let's sing.